Hello, I'm Mark Bassingthwaite, the Risk Manager here at ALPS, and welcome to another episode of ALPS In Brief, the podcast that comes to you from the historic Florence building in beautiful downtown Missoula, Montana. Uh, Today, it's just me. We're going to talk about uh, concerns with growing a practice, developing a practice, and looking at uh, four situations where lawyers are... um, again just taking steps to to build or grow a practice and sometimes they're not always thinking through the ramifications of decisions being made i'm not here to try to convince you not to do any of these things Um, some are far more common than one or two of the other things but um you know i'm i'm all in on trying to grow and develop a practice um building just from the very beginning uh to i mean there are all kinds of situations where where we want to perhaps make some changes but um i want to again explore the ramifications so what what we're going to talk about are uh contract lawyers. We're going to talk about ancillary services. We're going to talk about what I call the license rental problem. And then an interesting thing that I've seen a little bit more of of late is uh, creating different names for a firm. Um, And we'll get into that at the end. So that's, that's jump right in. Contract lawyering has been around for quite a while. And again, it can be very, very appropriate. It can be very beneficial. Um, can be a great way to start some things, at least to bring some money in, you know. Um, but there are some, some things that you need to be aware of if you're ever thinking about becoming a contract lawyer. And I want to talk about three specific situations. The first is going to be, and I, I think this is relatively common, um, you're going to be engaged full time by one firm and held out to the general public as being exclusively associated with this firm. Okay, so you're, you're a full time contract lawyer. I want you to think about coverage because if you want to be insured, you know, you need to be added to the policy of this firm. Okay, but sometimes the firm will refuse to do so or for some crazy reason is unable to to do so. And then they turn around and say, well, we expect you to purchase your own policy. Does that solve the problem of coverage? It actually doesn't. We need to to, to understand how coverage works. Basically, you are not insured for everything you do as a lawyer under a malpractice policy. When we talk about attorney-client relationships and just professional services, you know, that's so let's narrow this a little bit here. Um, coverage is predicated upon you being in an attorney-client relationship, providing, you know, the legal services, professional services to a client of the named insured. And the named insured is going to be the firm. Okay. Um, so if you go out and buy your own policy, the named insured is you, if you're assuming you're a solo here, or the name of your solo firm. Um, but when you're in a full-time contract situation, you're never providing legal services for your clients. You're always providing legal services for clients of this firm. So it's a false sense of comfort. 
you know they're thinking ah you know you don't know you don't care um you, you think what well, you you don't have coverage in most instances there there may be some exceptions but you really need to look at the language of your policy make sure you understand just what's covered and what's not covered um, so purchasing coverage here isn't gonna in most situations give you any any coverage so again i would personally only step into the situation if I know I'm going to be added to their policy and I'm just going to share this is me I'm a risk guy <laughs> while trust is a good thing you know when it comes to this I, I would want the firm to provide documentation that I've actually been added to their policy um, suffice it to say that I've seen couple of situations over the year where you know they say one thing but what actually happened uh, was something entirely different and I'll leave it at that a second thing you'll see sometimes is uh, and this is relatively common in the contract lawyering space is the, the contract lawyer uh, will be temporarily engaged by one and sometimes uh, two or three firms but never held out by any of these firms as being uh, associated with the firms um, the general public just simply isn't aware of your your presence okay now again if you want coverage for this um, the firm or firms should you know, reach out to their carrier and you know provide notice take care of any premium that may be due um, and you know you're all good right uh, but sometimes again they'll say they're unable or unwilling and suggest you get your own coverage just as in the other situation when you know when you are held up full time and all of that you know if you get your own coverage you're not going to be covered if any of these clients sue you but you know I'm also shared that these clients really don't know you're there so you know the exposure would come well does this firm sue you and you know if we have pretty good documentation you know that this firm has retained you you have an engagement letter with them to provide legal services to them etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, you know so we can document this is a client of yours uh, your coverage your policy should be in play for when the firm sues you okay because it's that's the only person or the only entity that really knows you're involved so that said here's an interesting question is coverage really necessary in this situation now again I am not advising I am not recommending you got to make your own judgment calls on this one but here's, here's something to think about you know again assuming there's zero client contact of any kind with clients of the firm or firms you're uh, of, you know working as a contract lawyer with uh, clients are never made aware of your involvement on any matter the firm uh, or firms accept full accountability and responsibility for your work product and all of this is commonplace in this type of business relationship the risk of having to do with a malpractice claim is really going to be extremely low even from the firm you know instead of suing they're just going to fire you if you turns out you don't know what you're doing um, so you know I'll let you make your own judgment call on that but uh, it's some food for thought the final situation I'll talk about with contract lawyers is uh, you're engaged part-time 
by a firm and held out to the general public as being associated with that firm while also trying to establish or, or you're still involved in running your own practice and you're doing this for a little extra revenue whatever might be going on here. How does this play? Well, in this situation, you're going to be working for two firms, right? The firm you're contracting with and, and your own solo practice. So thinking about, again, coverage only covers you for uh, work done uh, an attorney-client relationship on behalf of a client in the named insured. Uh, there's two firms, so you really need to be on two policies. The, the firm policy you're, you're a contract lawyer with, because again, you're being held out as associated, the public's aware. Uh, and then your own policy for work you do on behalf of your own clients. Okay, now we're, we're good to go. Except sometimes, again, the firm your contract uh, with refuses or is unable to add you to their policy. You know, what do we do here? Well, here there's an interesting, uh, if, if you will, work around. You might consider working uh, with this firm not in a contract relationship, but in a co-counsel relationship. Now you need to do this, you know, in accordance with the uh, rules of professional conduct. You know, we, we have to uh, make sure the clients are aware of the fee split that, and documentation to retaining two discrete firms. Uh, you know, I, I document for the client roles and responsibilities of, of, uh, of yourself and your co-counsel, you know, who's doing what. Um, and and that, that, that can work. We have documentation here now that all of the work you're doing is done on behalf of clients of your firm. Okay, um, so that that can work in some situations. You know, I, I can't speak for what these other firms are going to do. Uh, you know, but how much work? You know, but that that can be very beneficial. Uh, my one caution is prior to stepping into a co-counsel relationship, uh, I because in essence you're going to be creating a partnership, if you will, uh, for every joint matter that you're, you're working on. I want to make sure that if this firm, particularly if they are in the lead, uh, if you will, uh, doing the majority of the work, I want to make sure they're insured for their own uh, missteps. Because if they happen to be bare and there's a malpractice misstep that they've even made, you know, you're going to be brought in because it's, you know, you've sort of created this partnership in this matter and your policy's in play. And, you know, if there's a loss, you're the one that might take the financial hit, so to speak, and have to deal with the, the, the fact that there's a claim, deal with surcharges and all that. Well, they just say, thank you very much for the coverage and, and go on. Um, this really does happen. It, it's not extraordinarily common, but I've seen this very situation multiple times in my 25 years without. So I would want to document before I enter any kind of co-counsel relationship that uh, the firm I'm about to co-counsel with has an adequate level of coverage for the matters that we're taking on jointly. Okay, how about we talk about ancillary services now? You know, there are, you know, I get innovation. I get how markets change and, and, and what consumers want. Uh, and that drives a lot of this. And I'm good with that. Hey, re, reinventing ourselves, um, you know, is how you stay in business over the long term. Okay, if you can't grow and change with the needs and the wants and the desires of the market, that's going to be a problem. 
But there are some issues, and again, we're going to talk a bit about this, and, and primarily it's about coverage. But ancillary services is one thing lawyers will turn to in terms of trying to uh, to reinvent themselves. Okay, so let me give you some examples, um, and often it's about wanting to offer both legal and non-legal services under the banner of your law firm or under the banner of, of the practice, okay? So I will see things like uh, a practice that does uh, regulatory compliance and consulting in the cybersecurity sector, okay? You might see this in employment law, uh, consulting or investigation services as sort of the ancillary piece. Business formation and consulting in the business sector. Uh, you might see lawyers and non-lawyers setting up several businesses and the plan is to offer legal services and investment advice, perhaps insurance sales, all under the banner of a common trade name. And all of these things that I'm talking about are real examples that I've, I've seen or been involved in over the years. Uh, it might be a lawyer planning to team up with a local CPA to offer legal and non-legal services under one roof. Um, it, it could be as simple as deciding to offer you know, do-it-yourself legal forms from your law firm's website, perhaps under a subscription practice model, which makes it even more interesting. Um, so there's lots of ideas, but, but what's the problem? Okay, remember I shared at the beginning, you know, just because you have um, a professional liability policy a lawyer's professional liability policy. That, that doesn't mean you're covered for anything and everything that you do uh, in, in the role of a lawyer. You know, malpractice policies cover you for allegations of negligence in the performance of professional services, okay? Now, policies are gonna differ, so it's worth looking at, you know, the, the policy that you have, you know, what is covered under the definition of professional services. Often it's, it's rather broad, you know, mediator, arbitrator, executor, conservator, guardian, trustee. I mean, there's all kinds of things. But as an example, uh, many of these policies also, because you got to look at exclusions, aren't going to cover you for financial advice given. Even though you're in an attorney-client relationship, you give financial advice to your client. That's not covered. Okay. So consulting is not a professional service that is falls under this definition of professional services. Okay, um, if you're limited to consulting only, and and sometimes lawyers, you know, sometimes you're in the role of lawyer in these settings. Sometimes you're in the role of consultant, and sometimes you're in the role of both. But you know, if you're just in the role of consultant, there is no attorney-client relationship. The policies aren't going to respond. So can you start to appreciate? We need to think through some of the coverage concerns. Now. The question that I'll get, okay, well, you know, Mark, so so what do I do? How do I move forward? You know, what are my options? And this gets a little difficult, folks, and I'll be honest with you. And if you ever want to call and chat, doesn't cost anything, call and chat. I, I'm happy to try to, to issue spot and try to work through. Uh, the best answer I can give you is it depends. And the specifics of what you're looking at or trying to do will dictate. You know, if, if, if we take some simple kinds of things, the, the lawyer slash consultant, 
um, you know, let's use the cybersecurity space example. You know, we have legal and non-legal services, but they're going to be offered um, for the purpose of this example, sort of under the banner of, of one entity. Uh, it's the same desk, you know, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of malpractice insurers are not going to be comfortable with this and may just be unwilling to write. You may be able to go out and get a general errors and emissions policy that would cover both professional roles. Now, when it comes to the, the legal professional liability, uh, this general policy uh, solution is not going to offer uh, as in-depth coverage, if you will, uh, that you might see from a standalone professional liability policy uh, exclusive to lawyers. Um, but, um, you know, that, that can work. Other times it might you might want to say, well, let's break this out and, you know, have separate websites for the professional services and, and for the consulting, you know, for the lawyer hat and the consulting hat, uh, for the lawyer hat and the financial services hat, whatever it might be. Separate business cards, you know, put Esquire on your business cards uh, for the non-lawyer stuff. Um, separate phone numbers uh, and it's even easier if you have separate locations and, and sometimes you'll see that um, but if you start to create some distance between these two roles and make it clear to clients uh, if you have joint clients you know in, in this situation I, I'm, I've got my lawyer hat on but I have a separate contract with you for these non-legal services and you may need to you know Remind them now and again if there's some confusion, and I would tend to document some of this. But you know, you can you can get your uh, legal practice insured then through a you know standalone uh, professional lawyer's professional liability policy, and then you can get a separate uh, E&O policy for the non-lawyer stuff that you're doing. So there, there's some general things there to think about. But uh, my big message here again is as you look at models. Start to think through, um, you know, how is this going to play both ethically, and I'm not doing a whole lot of ethics here today on, on this, but um, this particular topic in particular in terms of uh, ancillary services, but I would definitely look into that. But coverage can also drive, you know, is, is this going to be a viable, is this uh, a model, is this going to work? So let's jump now to uh, license rental. And I, you know, you'll see this more in the solo and small firm space. Um, and you know how I start to get clued in. You know, somebody calls in. I, I got this great offer, and I'm going to make lots of money. And you know, but this is an opportunity, and I just want to run by, and make sure I'm not missing anything. And um, you know, it's typically it's an opportunity to affiliate with an out-of-state law firm. And sometimes even an out-of-state uh, or in-state non-lawyer-owned company. And both are wanting to direct matters to the lawyers they are con contracting with as a way to offer services, legal services in jurisdictions where the lawyers aren't licensed to practice or, you know, again, the unauthorized practice law because they're non-lawyers wanting to do this, but they, they want to create this affiliation. And it may be structured as contract lawyers. It may be structured as of counsel. 
And you're going to be promised, you know, some portion of any earned fee coupled with an understanding that, you know, the amount of work you're going to do is minimal. Now, these should be warning signs. I'm going to make money for very little work. Um, it's out of state. Mm, start to think through the rules here on this one. Practice areas that you often see this will be debt settlement mortgage foreclosures, estate planning, traffic violations, criminal expungements, you know, those are, are common areas. Um, I've, I've, I've seen, yeah, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Um, so, but I, that, that, let's talk about some of the obvious things. And here we can talk a little bit about ethics. You know, if it's a non-lawyer-owned company, you know, if you sign on, and participate here, there's a strong possibility you may be assisting a lay entity in the unauthorized practice of law. I have seen lawyers sanctioned for this to include loss of license. Okay? If it's an out-of-state law firm, that may still be a problem because you know they're not licensed in your state. That's why they want you. But here's the problem, you know, you're going to be contractually required to, in essence, uh, essentially relinqu relinquish control of all matters to the out-of-state firm. They're not going to turn these clients over to you, okay? And at times, they're not even doing the work. They're assigning them to non-lawyer's assistants. Uh, non-lawyer assistants. They're not properly supervised, and all they want is some local lawyer to sign off and just say, "Oh, this looks good." Okay. I start to think about assisting non-lawyers in unauthorized practice law. It also many of these uh, models, for lack of a better word, are marketing one-size-fits-all solutions to their legal problems. Uh, and again, they just want your blessing. Um, and if you uh, get involved here, and, and well, how do I want to say this? They don't want you to get involved and sort of talk to the client about various legal options, uh, really look at the true needs of the client, etc. They just want you to, to, to market and sign off on this, again, one-size-fits-all solution. Uh, you know, this is going to be a violation, uh, you know, professional independence of a lawyer. You are not allowed to have any, okay? And you're agreeing to this. Um, there's all kinds of issues that can come up in improper fee splits. Uh, again, preventing clients from having a chance to meaningfully consult with their local lawyer. Unreasonable limitations on scope, and it just goes on and on. So I would really, really caution you about this particular model. But now let's get back to, again, what we've been talking about with all of these situations. I have yet, well, actually, I'm going to back off on that. I used to say I have yet to hear of a situation where the out-of-state firm uh, or non-lawyer-owned company provided malpractice insurance for the local lawyers. I will share that's still very, very common. I have now come across two situations where they, in fact, do. Um, and the only reason I will share that is I, I'm not here to bash uh, the, the license rental. Well, I am bashing the license rental uh, model, but there have been situations where uh, a company really is, you know, done by lawyers. Uh, it, it's it, the model is set up 
in compliance with the ethical rules and they're really looking to expand and create sort of a a more nationwide or regional presence using local lawyers but they are the local lawyers are allowed to be involved uh, the fee split model is a bit different uh, they are advising the clients and it's it, it can be done uh, in a very uh, professional responsible way but I'm going to tell you uh, that is very much uh, an exception uh, to the norm. Okay, I'm trying to really clue you in uh, to to what these uh, the unethical ones start to to look like. So um, again, they don't offer insurance, and they are going to require every local lawyer who signs on that you have documentation of your own malpractice. Okay, and again, it's to try to make you believe that they're being very responsible and they're hoping you assume, well, that means because they're asking and these guys know what they're doing, they're a bigger company, that, that they know your policy is going to protect you. It's not. They don't care about you. They really don't. They have no intention of letting you get involved with their clients, meaning make them your clients. They're going to place severe limitations on what you can and can't do. You're simply being asked to sign off on work done by others. Okay, so let's get back to coverage. Are you in an attorney-client relationship delivering legal services on behalf of your own clients? And the answer is no, you are not. You're simply renting your license to somebody else and not a good idea it can be very very problematic and you're just you're not covered for any of that so uh, a little heads up little heads up there okay the final one that I'm going to talk about is I, I sort of set out here about multiple firm names and stuff you know and this has been interesting I, I've, I've come across this once or twice in, I don't know, the last five, eight years, something like that. And it was, I, I got what was going on, made a lot of sense to me. But now it seems like this is going more into the solo small firm space. Whether it's a trend, I think it's way too early to tell. But uh, here's the gist of it. A lawyer or a small firm wants to grow and develop and sort of create a market presence as um, specializing. Uh, you know, we know what we're doing in divorce law or we know what we're doing in uh, criminal defense or whatever it might be. You know, we're the go-to lawyers. And so we want to create a, a business name and sometimes lawyers are starting to even create separate entities for the various practice, you know, using my name, you know, Bassingthwaite Bankruptcy Law, uh, LLC, Bankruptcy, or Bassingthwaite uh, Divorce Law, LLC, and I'll create these entities, and I want to market myself as, as you know, I'm the go-to guy, and I, so again, I, I may even have separate accounts, in terms of trust accounts, bank accounts, all, I, and to me, I started sitting here, and my head hurts about how complicated this can be. I understand why lawyers want to do this. And I am absolutely not adverse to it. I just encourage you to think through creating multiple entities that are just you 
even you know if it's you and associate and two staff but it's the same desk the same address the same phone number absolutely everything the same and then trying to get four policies for each of these things you're going to have exclusions anti-stacking language uh, it just becomes a headache one to ensure and you know the more complicated you make this the more complicated or difficult it's going to be to find somebody willing to ensure all these entities but uh, you know, and th think about the administrative headache of all of this. I sit here, ah, I, I, I'm just not seeing the benefits of it. But there are alternatives. You know, you you could do a DBA, uh, and uh, you know, I try to get one policy uh, and, and put the the DBAs as uh, additional insureds. You might be able to get one policy with all the entities and put the entities on as additional insureds because there's only going to be one named insured. You know, it's, it's going to be cheaper to insure one firm with some additional insured names as opposed to four policies on four firms. You're going to be spending all kinds of money that you don't, and it's just a mess. So uh, a little caution there. But I'll tell you, there's, in, in my mind, it's even easier. I'm not even going to mess with DBAs. Well, I mean, you could, but um, I, I sit and say, let's just have one firm. And I'm going to call my firm the Bass Synthwaite Law Firm. Okay, and it, run with me on my crazy mind and how I look at this. Bassingthwaite Law is going to be the mothership, if you will, and that is going to be the named insured. Now, I'm going to create some websites, and it might be Bassingthwaite Bankruptcy, or uh, I might not even put bankruptcy, or I'm sorry, Bassingthwaite there. I might have some little, you know, some little fancy marketing kind of name, you know, um, for divorce and for bankruptcy, these different areas that I, I want to look like an expert on. So I have these separate websites and separate marketing, but these are just names for marketing. I'm, I'm trying to build a feeder network, I'm, you know, and on each of the sites, I'll say, this is a service of Bassingthwaite Law. You know, this is a service, you know, so well, you'll see that on the divorce page, you'll see that on the bankruptcy page. Um, you can call it whatever you want, but in other words, there is no entity. It's just, it's a marketing campaign. And then anytime a client comes in from the bankruptcy website, the divorce website, or even Bassingthwaite Law website, all contracts are signed with Bassingthwaite Law because that's the named insured. And all contracts are, you know, so we all are employed if I have other staff, you know, associates, whatever it might be. We're all under this banner of Bassingthwaite Law. That's the mothership. And everybody, I'm very open about this. It's just using it as a marketing tool. And I think that can really make life a lot simpler. I want to shut down the Bassingthwaite, or I'm sorry, the, the bankruptcy uh, practice at some point. All I got to do is turn off the website. I don't have to wind up this, this separate entity because I don't want to do bankruptcy work anymore. And I, you see it, I, I'm thinking long term here too. So, you know, there are ways in terms of, I, I'm kind of trying to wrap up here now uh, in terms of takeaways. There really are ways and things that you can do. I, there are pros and cons to all this stuff. Obviously the license rental model, I got a little issue with, but um, there are some situations out there that, that can work, that are ethically sound. But 
you know, we need to look, we need to do some investigation on all this to understand the ramifications and the time to do it is before you've committed and set up the, the, the four law firms and go, oh my gosh, now trying to cover this. I didn't realize I was creating such a headache. Maybe I should have called you guys sooner. Real conversation as an aside, just happened. Um, so there it is. I, I hope you found something of value with, with today's little... Uh, Oh, pontification on, on growing and, and building practices. Um, I'm all in, I'm all for it's, you know, there's lots of things that can be done and, you know, obviously there's all kinds of marketing things and all sorts of ways to build a practice. But I did want to share a couple of things where lawyers get trapped. Uh, they get too far down the road and haven't thought through. So I'm just trying to get you ahead of the curve. I have zero issues, you know, doing, hey, you want to go with contract learning? Hey, God bless. I hope it works out. That's really exciting. You want to go down the ancillary road? God bless. Subscription, which we really didn't get into, but um, the ancillary model kind of overlaps there a bit. Uh, you know, God bless. I'm all in. Just think through the ramifications. So that's it. Please don't hesitate to reach out if you have questions or concerns about uh, the things that we've just talked about and want to discuss further. It doesn't cost anything to chat with me or send an email. Uh, my email is mbass, B-A-S-S, at alpsinsurance, A-L-P-S, insurance, one word, dot com. Um, and I'm happy to do anything I can. So, hey, good talking to you. Stay safe out there. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.